Part four of Full Speed Ahead by Henry B. Beston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four. Eleven. Fishing. A young executive officer who had discovered that I came from his part of the world took me there for tea. I fancy that few of the destroyer folk will forget the principal hotel at the Navy's Irish base. We sat in worn plush chairs in a vast rectangular salon lit by three giant sash windows of horrible proportions. Walls newly decked with paper of a lustrous fiery red showered down upon us their imaginary warmth. The room was cold, horribly cold, and a minuscule fire of coke burning in a tiny grate seemed to be making no effort whatsoever to improve conditions. The little glow of fire in the nest of clinkers leered with a dull malevolence. Cold, a shivery cold. My eye fled to the pictures on the fiery wall. How in the blank did these particular pictures ever land in this particular corner of South Ireland? Two were photographic studies of ragged Alabama darkies, pictures of the kind that used to be printed on calendars in the 1890s one was entitled i want ya my honey this being addressed to a watermelon the other being called i's just tired of school these two were varied by an engraving of a racehorse some charles i cavaliers and a framed newspaper photograph of the seventy-first new york guards en route for tampa in eighteen ninety eight sugar accepted there is still plenty of good food in ireland the exec and i sat down to a very decent tea i told all that i knew about the exec's friends that a was in a machine-gun company b in the naval aviation c in the intelligence department and so forth and when i had done my share of the talking i demanded of the exec what he thought of his work over there he answered abruptly as if he had long before settled the question in his own mind it's a game some of the sporting fishermen in the flotilla say that it's much like fishing now you use this bait now that now this rod now another and all the time you are following following the fish it's a game the biggest game in all the world for it has the biggest stakes in all the world there's far more strategy to it than one would suspect you see it's not enough to hang around till a periscope pops up we've got to fish out the periscope fishing then said i well how and where do you fish on the checkerboard of the irish sea and the channel you see the surface of the endangered waters is divided up into a number of squares or areas and over each area some kind of a patrol boat stands guard she may be a destroyer perhaps a sloop now let's suppose she's out there looking for fish yes even as a fisherman might wade out into a river in which he knows that fish are to be caught but how is your destroyer fisherman to know just what fish are to be caught and in just what bays and inlets he ought to troll well that's the function of the naval intelligence have you realized the immense organization which britain has created especially to fight the submarine you'll find it all in the war cabinet report for nineteen seventeen before the war there were only twenty vessels employed as minesweepers and on auxiliary patrol duties today the number of such craft is about three thousand eight hundred and is constantly increasing 
and don't forget the seaplanes balloons and all the other parts of the outfit so while our destroyer fisherman is casting about in square x let us say all these scouting friends of his are trying to find the fish for him so every once in a while he gets a message via wireless fish seen off bay blank fish reported in latitude a and longitude b if these messages refer to spots in his neighborhood you can be sure that he keeps an extra sharp lookout so no matter where the fish goes there is certain to be a fisher during a recent month the mileage steamed by the auxiliary patrol forces in british home waters exceeded six million miles now while you are beating the waters for them what about the fish himself the fish himself well the ocean is a pretty big place and the fish has the tremendous advantage of being invisible a submarine need only show three inches of periscope if the weather is calm she can travel a hundred miles completely submerged and she can remain on the bottom for a full forty-eight hours squatting on the bottom is called lying doggo but she has to come up to breathe and recharge her batteries and this she does at night hence the keenness of the night patrol and here is another parallel to fishing you know that when the wind is from a certain direction you will find the fish in a certain pool whilst if the wind blows from another quarter you will find the fish in another place same way with submarines let the wind blow from a certain direction and they will run up and down the surface off a certain lee shore you can just bet that that strip of shore is well patrolled moreover submarines can't go fooling around all over the sea they have to concentrate in certain squares say the areas which lie outside big ports or through which a great marine highway lies suppose that you manage to injure a fish what then well if the fish isn't too badly injured he will probably make for one of the shallows and lie doggo till he has time to effect repairs result every shallow is watched as carefully as a miser watches his gold and seaplanes have a special patrol of the coast to keep them off the shallows by the shore sometimes then in the murk of night a destroyer must bump into one by sheer good luck oh yes indeed not long ago a british destroyer racing through a pitch-dark rainy night cut a sub almost in half there was a tremendous bump that knocked the people on the bridge over backward a lot of yelling and then a wild salvo of rain blotted everything out i think they managed to rescue one of the germans pity they didn't get the fish itself you know it's a great stunt to get your enemy's codes we get them once in a while ever seen a pink booklet on any of your destroyer trips it's a translation of a german book of instructions to submarine commanders on british boats they call it baby killing at a glance or the huns body makum great name isn't it tells how to attack convoys and all that sort of thing lots of interesting tricks like squatting in the path of the sun so that the lookout blinded by the glare shan't see you playing dead and so on that playing dead stunt if it ever did work which i greatly doubt is certainly no favorite now playing dead just what do you mean why a destroyer would chase a sub into the shallows and bomb her 
then fritz would release a tremendous mess of oil to make believe that he was terribly injured and lie doggo for hours and hours the destroyer of course seeing the oil and hearing nothing from fritz was expected to conclude that fritz had landed in valhalla and go away then when she had gone away fritz quite uninjured went back to his job and now that stunt is out of fashion oh, you bet it is our instructions are to bomb until we get tangible results before it announces the end of a sub the admiralty has to have unmistakable evidence of the sub's destruction not long ago they say a sub played dead somewhere off the channel sent up oil and waited for the fishers to go in a few seconds fritz got a depth bomb right on his ear and up he came to the top the most surprised and angry hun that ever was seen bagged him boat and all he must have had a head of solid ivory got to be cruising along now it's four o'clock and our tender must be waiting for me at the pier going fishing i asked politely you bet he answered with a grin twelve amusements on every vessel in the navy there is a phonograph and on some destroyers there are two phonographs one for the officers and one for the men the motion of the destroyer rarely permits the use of the machine at sea but when the vessel lies quietly at her mooring buoy you are likely to hear a battered old opera record sounding through the portholes of the wardroom and when the midnight choo-choo leaves for alabama rising raucously out of the cruise quarters when music fails there are always plenty of magazines thanks to good souls who read mr burleson's offer and affix the harmless necessary two-cent stamps each batch is full of splendid novelettes we gloat over the esoteric mysteries of the american buddhist and wonder who sent it we read the osteopaths quarterly the western hog breeder and needlework petty officers with agricultural ambitions and there are always a few on every boat descend on the agricultural journals like wolves on the fold no notice of queenstown no history of the navy would be complete without a word about golf it is the navy game golf clubs are to be found in every cabin in the tiny libraries harry varden rubs shoulders with naval historians and professors of thermodynamics if you take the train you are sure to find a carriage full of golfers bound for a course on the home side of the river i remember seeing the captain of an american submarine just about to start upon the most dangerous kind of an errand one could possibly imagine it was midnight it was raining the great atlantic surges were sweeping into the bay in a manner which told of rough weather outside just as he was about to disappear into the clamorous bowels of his craft the captain paused for an instant on the ladder and shouted back to us tell sanderson to put that mashie in my room when he's through with it were it not for the great united states naval men's club i fear that jack ashore would have had but a dull time for our amusements are limited to a dingy cinema exploiting american serials several years old and a shed in which a company of odd people played pretentious melodramas of the worst woman in london type on a tiny sunday-school stage 
alas there were not enough people in the company to complete the cast of characters so the poor leading lady was forever disappearing into the wings as the wronged daughter of a ducal house only to appear again in a few minutes as the dark female poisoner whilst the little leading man with a carry brogue was forever rushing back and forth between the old white-haired servitor and the earl of darnley court once in a while jack came to these performances bought the best seat and left the theatre before the performance was ended the british tars however sat through it respectably and solemnly to the end the men's club was to be found at one end of the town close by the water's edge it was quite the most successful and attractive thing of its kind i have ever visited the largest building was a factory-like affair of brick which once housed some swimming baths then became a theatre and finally failed and lay down to die the smaller buildings were substantial huts of the y m c a kind which had been attached to the original structure this institution provided some several thousand sailors with a canteen an excellent restaurant a theatre a library a recreation room and if necessary a lodging best of all one could go to the club and actually be warm and comfortable in the american style a boon not to be lightly regarded in these islands where people all winter long huddle in freezing rooms round lilliputian grates enlisted men controlled the club maintained it and selected their stewards cooks and attendants from their own ranks upon everybody concerned the club reflects the highest credit there were movies every night and on saturday night a special concert by the talent in the flotilla the opening number was always a selection by the club orchestra perhaps a march of Sousa's, for the navy is true to its own or perhaps meacham's american patrol then came a long for-real movie jim and penman the ring of the borgias gladiola or davy crockett the last terrifying flickers die away the footlights become rosy the curtain rises on the musical gobs we behold a pleasant room in which two people in civilian clothes sit playing a soft crooning air on violins suddenly a knock is heard at the door one of the performers rises goes to the door then returns and says to his partner there's some sailors out there great laughter in the audience they say they can play too want to know if they can't come in and play with us sure tell them to come in come in boys from behind the backdrop a subdued humming suddenly bursts and blossoms into strike up the band here comes a sailor enter now three pleasant-looking amiably grinning lads playing the tune chairs are brought out for the newcomers and the musical gobs genuine artists all play several airs another knock is heard and a singer a petty officer with a good tenor also begs to join them the curtain goes down in a perfect tempest of applause the screen descends once more and all present sing together the popular songs whose text is shown give me a kiss mirandy and it's a long way to berlin but we'll get there this feature was always a favorite we then have a clog dancer two more comic films and the national anthems when the show is over almost everybody wandered to the canteen to get a bite to eat 
to overleap the bars of the ration system with a real plate of ham and eggs served club style was an experience so if you were aboard a destroyer that night you might have heard jack whistling the new tunes and his officers discussing golf scores thirteen storm sooner or later destroyer folk are sure to say something about the storm it happened in december and raged for a full three days readers will have to imagine what it meant to destroyer sailors the boat dancing tipping and rolling crazily without a second's respite no warm food to eat because a saucepan could not be kept on the stove or liquids in a saucepan no rest to be had imagine being in the lookout station in such a storm wondering when the tops of the masts were going to crash down on one's head it was a hard time yet two-thirds of the american flotilla were out in it and not a single vessel lost an hour from her patrol indeed the american vessels were about the only patrol boats to stay out during the tempest one day in the wardroom of the good old z some of the officers began to tell of it the first narrator was the radio officer a tall blonde westerner with big gray eyes and a little sandy mustache i knew we were in for something when i saw the clouds racing over against the wind didn't you notice that duke it kept up for quite a while and kept getting colder and colder it wasn't one of these squally storms but one of these storms that starts with a repressed grouch nurses it along and finally decides to have it out whoopee some night that first one everybody stayed on their feet couldn't have slept if you'd had the chance to to get about you grabbed the nearest thing handy hung on for dear life took a step grabbed the next thing handy and so on the old hooker did the darndest stunts i ever saw or felt i came in to get my coat hanging in that corner and the first thing i knew i was lying on the floor over in the other corner trying to fight my way to my feet again one of the men in the boiler room got burned by being thrown against a hot surface did i tell you how i tried to lie down well just as i had actually succeeded in getting over to this transom and stretching out preparatory to strapping myself in you have to strap yourself tight in these destroyer bunks same as in an aeroplane the old craft sank or swooped or did something more than usually funny and left me hanging in the air about a foot and a half above the bunk i must have looked like the subject of an experiment in levitation a minute later either the bunk came up and caught me a wallop in the back or i fell down like a ton of brick or we met in mid-air anyway i thought my spine had been carried away then all of a sudden the library door opened and dumped about a hundred pounds of books on me it was really dangerous to go on deck for the waves could easily have torn one from the lifeline one of the boats did i think lose a man overboard but by wonderful luck managed to fish him out again it is the engineer officer speaking he is somewhat older than the average destroyer officer somewhere on the edge of the forties i should say of medium height lean and with hazel eyes a thin high nose and a thin firm mouth i was just getting through my watch had my foot on the ladder in fact when the boat that we lost got smashed in a wave about the size of a young mountain climbed aboard hit the deck caught the boat and then poured off with the kindling wood 
then to make things interesting right when it was blowing the hardest the men's dog took it into his head to come on deck of course he was only a three months pup then and didn't know any better he does now though he won't stick his nose out when the weather's bad well he slipped his collar or something and ran on deck the water was washing about under the torpedo tubes like the breakers at atlantic city and the deck plates were buckling takes a destroyer to do that but i keep forgetting the dog the little brute backed up between two of the stacks and started yapping out a puppyish bark at the world to starboard it was funny in a way to see the little brute there with his short hair blown backwards and his feet braced on the wet deck everybody yelled and one of the men ran out hanging on to the lifeline and not a minute too soon either for a second later a big wave came thumping down on us and there was maloney the big dark fellow you were talking to this morning hanging on to the wire by one arm with the fool dog squashed under the other and the whole irish sea trying to wash them both overboard i was afraid he'd lose his balance or have the handle that travels along the wire torn out of his grip but he got to shelter all right and the darn dog yapping steadily all the time we had two almost three days of it and it never let up one bit one of our boats got caught in it with only a meager supply of oil but managed to make a french port i've heard that there actually wasn't enough oil left in her tanks to have taken her three miles further other destroyers too had boats smashed up and one of em came in with her smokestacks bent up for all the world like the crooked fingers of a hand some had depth charges washed overboard it certainly was the worst blow that i remember here the navigator came over with a twinkle in his eye and touched me on the shoulder don't let him fill you with that dope said he that storm wasn't in it with the storms we have on the other side of hatteras hatteras my neck said the other what do you think you are anyway hell and jake the storm king and then the talk shifted to something else fourteen on night patrol it was the end of the afternoon there was light in the western sky and on the winding bay astern but ahead leaden still and slightly tilted up to a gray bank of eastern cloud lay the forsaken and beleaguered sea the destroyer nosing slowly through the gap in the nets by the harbor mouth entered the swept channel increased her speed and trembling to the growing vibration hurried on into the dark high crumbling and excessively romantic the irish coast behind her died away tragic waters lay before her whatever illusory friendliness men had read into the sea had vanished the great leaden disk about the vessel seemed as insecure as a mountain road down whose length travellers cease from speaking for fear of avalanches a vast circular ambush somehow the beholder cannot help feeling that the waters should show some sign of the horrors they have seen but the sea has engulfed all memories as well as living men engulfing a thousand wrecks as completely as time engulfs a thousand years the dark came swiftly almost as if the destroyer had sailed to find it in that bank of eastern cloud there was an interval of twilight no dying glow but a mere pause in the pale ebb of the day the destroyer had begun to roll 
looking back from the bridge one saw the lean inconceivably lean steel deck the joints of the plates still visible the guns to each side with their attendant crews a machine-gun swinging on a pivot like a weather-vane the gently swaying bulk of the suspended motor-dories and lifeboats the four great tubes of the funnels rising flush from the plates and crowned with a tremble of vibration from the oil-flames below and all this lean world swung slowly from side to side rocking as gently as a child's cradle swayed as if by some gentle force from within the destroyer was out on patrol a part of the threatened sea had been given to her to watch and ward she was the guardian the avenger the supper hour arrived men came in groups to the galley door some to depart with steamy pannikins there was a smell of good food very satisfying to children of earth in the officers wardroom when dinner was over and the negro mess-boys were silently folding the white cloth securing the chairs and tidying up those not on watch settled down to a friendly talk all the lights except one bulb hanging over the table in a pyramidal tin shade had been switched off it was very quiet now and then one could hear the splash of a wave against the side a footfall on the deck overhead or the tinkle of the knives and forks which the steward was putting away in a drawer the hanging light swayed with the motion of the ship trailing a pool of light up and down the oaken table cigarette smoke rose in wisps and long languorous oriental coils to the clean ceiling a sailor or two came in for his orders hushed voices talking apart a direction to do this or that a respectful business-like yes sir a quiet withdrawal by the only door it was all very calm it had the atmosphere of a cruise yet those aboard might have been torpedoed any minute struck a mine crashed into a submarine fooling about too near the surface this has happened or been sunk in thirty seconds by some hurrying furtive brute of a liner which would have ridden over them as easily as a snake goes over a branch the talk flowed in many channels on the problems of destroyers on the adventures of other boats on members of the crew soon to be advanced to commissioned rating and under the thought under the words could be discerned the one fierce purpose of these fighting lives the will to strike down the submarine and open the lanes of the sea oh the vigilance the energy the keenness of the american patrol there were tales of u-boats hiding in suspected bays of merchantmen swiftly and terribly avenged of voices that cried for help in the night of lifeboats almost awash in whose foul waters the dead floated swollen and horrible the war of the destroyer against the submarine is a matter of tragic melodrama the wandering glow of the swaying lamp now was reflected from the varnished table to one keen young face now to another running a destroyer is a young man's game says the navy true enough pray do not imagine them as a crew of hell-driving boys the destroyer service is the achievement of the man in the early thirties of the officer with a young man's vigor and energy and the resolution of maturity 
after all the navy department is not yet trusting vessels worth several million dollars and carrying over a hundred men to eager youngsters who have no background of experience to their energy good will and bravery if you would imagine a destroyer captain take your man of thirty-two or three give him blue eyes a keen clear-cut face essentially american in its features a sailor's tan and a sprinkling of gray hair a type to remember for to the destroyer captain more than to any other single figure do we owe our opportunity of winning the war the evening waned the officers who were to go on watch at twelve stole off to get a little sleep before being called the navigator and the senior engineer slept on the transoms of the wardroom a junior officer lingered beneath his solitary ever-swinging light reading a magazine a little hitch worked itself into the destroyer's motion a swift upward leap a little catch in mid-air a descent ending in a quiver the voice of the waters grew louder there were hissing splashes watery blows bubbly gurgles the sleeping officers had not paused to undress nobody bothers to strip on a destroyer there isn't time and a man has to be ready on the instant for any eventuality the door giving on a narrow passageway to the deck opened and as it stood ajar the hissing of the water alongside invaded the silent room a sailor in a blue reefer a big lad with big hands and simple friendly face entered quietly walked over a transom and said twelve o'clock sir all right simmons said the engineer sitting up and kicking off the clothes at once with a quick gesture then he swung his legs over the side of the bunk pulled on a coat and hat and wandered out to take his trick on the bridge he found a lovely starlit night a night rich in serenity and promised peace a night for lovers a poet's night there was phosphorescence in the water and as the destroyer rolled from side to side now the guns and rails to port now those to starboard stood shaped against the spectral trail of foam running river-like alongside one could see some distance ahead over the haunted plain the men by the guns were changing watch black figures came down the lane by the funnels a sailor was drawing cocoa in a white enamel cup from a tap off the galley wall the hatchway leading to the quarters of the crew was open it was dark within the engineer heard a wiry creak of a bunk into which someone had just tumbled the engineer climbed two little flights of steps to the bridge it was midnight it was very still on the bridge for all of the ten or twelve people standing by all very quiet and rather solemn one can't escape from the rich melodrama of it all the bridge was a little low-roofed space perhaps ten feet wide and eight feet long it had a front wall shaped like a wide outward pointing v its sides and rear were open to the night the handful of officers and men on watch stood at various points along the walls peering out into the darkness phosphorescent crests of low breaking waves flecked the waters about it was incredibly spectral 
in the heart of the bridge burned its only light a binnacle lamp burning as steadily as a light in the chancel of a darkened church the glow cast the shadow of the helmsman and the bars of the wheel down upon the floor in radiations of light and shade like the stripes of a japanese flag the captain keeping a sharp lookout over the bow gave his orders now and then to the helmsman a petty officer with a sober serious face suddenly there were steps on the companionway behind the dark outline of some messenger appeared a shadow on a background of shades the sailor peered round for his chief and said mr andrews sent me up sir to report hearing a depth bomb or a mine explode at twelve twenty five was it very loud williams yes sir i should have said it wasn't more than a few miles away we all heard it quite distinctly down below evidently some devil's work was going on in the heart of the darkness the vibration had travelled through the water and had been heard as always in that part of the ship below the water-line williams withdrew the destroyer rushed on into the romantic night must have spotted something on the surface said someone a radio operator appeared with a sheaf of telegrams submarine seen in latitude x and longitude y derelict awash in position so and so gunfire heard off cape z at half past eleven it all had to do with the channel zone to the south the captain shoved the sheaf into a pocket of his jacket suddenly through the dark was heard a hard thundering pound by jingo there's another said somebody nearby too wonder what's up sounded more like a torpedo this time said an invisible speaker in a heavy dogged voice a stir of interest gripped the bridge one could see it in the shining eyes of the young helmsman two of the sailors discussed the thing in whispers fragments of conversation might have been overheard no i should have said off the port bow isn't this about the place where the welsh prince got hers listen didn't you hear something then from somewhere in the distance came three long blasts blasts of a deep roaring whistle something's up sure the destroyer in obedience to an order of the captain took a sharp turn to port and turning left far behind a curving luminous trail upon the sea the wind was dying down again there were steps on the way distress signal sir said the messenger from the radio room a shock-haired lad who spoke with the precise intonation of a bostonian the captain stepped to the side of the binnacle lowered the flimsy sheet into the glow of the lamp and summoned his officers the message read s s zemblan position x y z torpedoed request immediate assistance an instant later several things happened all at once the general quarters alarm bell which sends every man to his station began to ring full speed ahead was rung on the engine room and the destroyer's course was altered once more men began to tumble up out of the hatchways figures rushed along the dark deck there were voices questions names the alarm bell rang as monotonously as an ordinary doorbell whose switch has jammed 
but soon one sound the roaring of the giant blowers sucking in air for the forced draught in the boiler room overtopped and crushed all other fragments of noise even as an advancing wave gathers into itself and destroys pools and rills left along the beach by the tide a roaring sound a deep windy hum gathering speed at once the destroyer leaped ahead and even as violence overtook the lives and works of men the calm upon the sea became ironically more than ever assuring and serene good visibility said somebody on the bridge she can't be more than three miles away now hello there's a rocket a faint bronzy golden trail suddenly flowering into a drooping cluster of darting white lights gleamed for a furtive instant among the westering winter stars i saw her sir cried one of the lookouts where is she o'farrell quite a bit to the left of the rocket sir she's settling by the head the beautiful night closed in again o'farrell and the engineer continued to peer out into the dark suddenly both of them cried out using exactly the same words at exactly the same time torpedo off the port bow sir the thing had become visible in an instant it could be seen as a rushing white streak in the dark water and was coming towards the destroyer with the speed of an express train coming like a bullet out of a gun the captain uttered a quick word of command the wheel spun the roaring trembling ship turned in the dark a strange thing happened just as the destroyer had cleared the danger line the torpedo as if actuated by some malevolent intelligence porpoised and actually turned again towards the vessel the fate of the destroyer lay on the knees of the gods those on the bridge instinctively braced themselves for the shock the affair seemed to be taking a long time a terribly long time an instant later the contrivance rushed through the foaming wake of the destroyer only a few yards astern and coming on disappeared in the calm and glittering dark a floating red light suddenly appeared just ahead and at the same moment all caught sight of the zimblan she was hardly more than half a mile away somebody aboard her had evidently just thrown over one of those life buoys with a self-igniting torch attachment and this buoy burned a steady orange-red just off that side on which the vessel was listing the dark stricken motionless bulk leaned over the little pool of orange radiance gleaming in a fitful pool round the floating torch one could see vague figures working on a boat by the stern and one figure walking briskly down the deck to join them there was not a sign of any explosion no breakage no splintered wood some ships are stricken and go to their death in flames and eddying steam go to their death as a wounded soldier does other ships resemble a strong man suddenly stricken by some incurable and mysterious disease the unhappy zemblan was of this latter class there were two boats on the water splashing their oars with a calm regularity of the college crews there were inarticulate and lonely cries away from the light and but vaguely seen against the midnight sky lay a british patrol boat which had happened to be very close at hand and other boats were signalling zemblan am coming 
the sloop signaled the destroyer that she would look after the survivors cries were no longer heard round and round the ship in great sweeps went the destroyer seeking a chance to be of use to avenge other vessels arrived talked by wireless and disappeared before they had been but vaguely seen just after two o'clock the zimblan's stem rose in the air and hung suspended motionless the tilted bulk might have been a rock thrust suddenly out of the deep towards the starry sky then suddenly as if released from a pose the stern plunged under plunged as if it were the last act of the vessel's conscious will the destroyer cruised about till dawn a breeze sprang up with the first glow of day and scattered the little wreckage which had floated silly solemnly about nothing remained to tell of an act more terrible than murder more base than assassination fifteen camouflage in the annals of the navy one may read of many a famous duel and if the code duello were in existence to-day i feel certain that the present would not be less fiery than the past the subject which stirs up all the discussion is camouflage to ask at a crowded table what do you think of camouflage is to hurl a very apple of discord down among your hosts for there will be some who will stand by camouflage to the last bright drop of blood and strive to win you to their mind with tales that do amaze the very faculties of eyes and ears you will hear of ships melting into cloud of vessels apparently going full speed backward of ships whose funnels have one and all been rendered invisible and now the mocker is sure to ask the pro camouflager in the most serious of tones if he ever saw the ship disguised as a sunset which the germans unhappily discovered on a rainy day the signal gun of the anti-camouflage squad now having sounded the assault begins with a demand of what's your theory the pros reply something about breaking up spaces of color optical illusions if you draw horizontal lines along a boat's hull she will appear longer if you draw a vertical or angular perils the vessel will appear shorter the antis answer that such an expedient might possibly just possibly deceive an idiot child for exactly five and one-eighth second as for deceiving a wily hun good night do you mean to tell me cries the devotee of camouflage growing angry that a ship painted one flat dead colour is less visible against the sea than one whose surface is broken up into many colours yes that's what i mean retorts the anti you know as well as i do that a thing that looks like vesuvius in eruption is ten times more easily seen than a boat painted a dull neutral grey yes cries someone else but hasn't camouflage on land proved its utility i'm talking about naval camouflage answers the anti on land your camouflaged object is usually stationary itself and stands in relation to a surface which is always stationary the surrounding landscape out here both surfaces sea and vessel are constantly in motion and constantly changing their relation to each other but i saw a boat begins a pro oh cut it out cries somebody else wholeheartedly and the discussion ends exactly where a thousand others have ended 
whether camouflage be valuable or not it certainly is the fad of the hour the good old-fashioned one-color boat has practically disappeared from the seas and the ships that cross the ocean in these perilous times have been docked to make a cubist holiday the futurists are saving democracy there are countless tricks i remember seeing one boat with a false waterline floating in a painted sea whose roaring waves contrasted oddly with a frightfully placid horizon and i recall another with the silhouette of a schooner painted on her side i remember a little tramp remorselessly striped funnels and all with alternate slanting bands of apple green and snuff brown i have an indistinct memory of a terrible mess of milky pink lemon yellow and rusty black which earned for the vessel displaying it the odious title of the boil we saw the prize monstrosity in mid-ocean every school of camouflage had evidently had a chance at her she was striped she was blotched she was painted in curves she was slashed with jagged angles she was bone gray she was pink she was purple she was green she was blue she was egg yellow to see her was to gasp and turn aside we had quite a time picking a suitable name for her but finally decided on the conscientious objector though her full title was the state of mind of a c o on being sent to the front finally destiny put in my path just the man i wanted to see the captain of a british submarine what do you think of camouflage i asked well he answered after a pause i can't remember that it ever hindered us from seeing a ship visibility at sea strikes me as being more a matter of mass than of color the optical illusion tricks are too priceless silly must amuse the huns you see if the eye does play him false fritz detects the error with his gauges the p c s i am sure will put this down as a bit of typical submarine side indignant letters care of h m s x nine 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 end of part four